Yes, today is the last day of our series, Untouchables. If you've been with us at all uh, over the last few weeks, you know, we've been talking about some tough subjects that we don't oftentimes talk about in church. And, and that, this, that is definitely today's subject for sure. Now, I've got a confession to make this morning, is that I've struggled a lot over what to talk about this morning. It has been, it's been tough, because when I, I first proposed this months back, on Facebook, and I asked people what they thought uh, about uh, things that we don't talk about a lot in church, but should. When I, I posed that question, I got a lot of great responses back, and maybe you did too, and, and great responses, good ideas, and things that people thought we should talk about. And to be honest with you, I had written another message this last week and, and just felt that was not the right thing, and so uh, we've done a different message uh, this morning to talk about and deal with something I think is really important. One person, when we proposed this, one person had said, uh, ha- asked the question, who or what is the devil? And, and that was what they wanted to know about, something that was, you know, an untouchable. And I was, think that's probably a great thing to talk about. So this morning, we're going to talk about the devil. Now, now, how many of you guys are excited about that? Yeah, okay, you guys are sick this morning because, no, I'm just kidding. No, this is, I think this is probably the first time I've ever devoted an entire message on talking about the devil. I, I don't remember doing this before. And, and so this morning, I'm going to put on my teaching hat and do more teaching than preaching. Uh, you know, if you are with us a lot, you know I, I preach mostly. Uh, today is going to be more teaching because I think this is an important subject for us to dive into and consider and think about, Right? Where else would you hear about this? Where else would you hear about the devil and and about the enemy that we have? Because here's the reality is so many Christians don't believe or don't understand a whole lot about the enemy. Christians are all over the map about this. If you ask 10 Christians uh, their responses on who the devil is, you might get 10 different responses, right? Because there's all kinds of ideas. There's been all kinds of depictions over the year of who the devil is. From Hollywood, from friends, from, from preaching, from all kinds of stuff. And there's lots of things that are based on conjecture at best or, 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 or small bits of, of scripture at best. All the way down to just conjecture and who knows what it, it might be. And I say that because, because if I say the word devil, I would bet that you probably have an image that comes to your mind, and I would also bet that it very well could be wrong. And before you get upset with me on that, let's think about what comes to our, our minds when we think of the word devil. Now, if you, what comes to your mind is uh, this little guy in the red shoulder that I say thanks to uh, Bugs Bunny commercials for that ideal, but the little guy in your shoulder wearing red who's whispering the bad things to do in your ear while the On the other side, the other shoulder is whispering the angel with the good things to do in your ear. If that's your idea of the devil, it's probably a little bit bit off. Uh, um, Maybe for you, it's just a a red-skinned guy that has some evil-looking eyes and maybe he's surfing on some fire, you know, and he's got a a red suit on. Uh, Maybe he's got horns coming out of his his, his front. He's got a long, pointy, windy tail, probably carrying a pitchfork with points on the end of it. If that's your idea of the devil, also probably not, not accurate. Maybe today 
Your idea of the devil is this guy that went down to Georgia and became a really, really good fiddle player. You know, we can thank Charlie Daniels for that. <laughs> Never understood why the devil became a great fiddle player. You know, I mean, come on, something else. But, but, but anyway, so that might be it. Or maybe your idea of the devil, if you are a Christian teen in the 80s, might be on the cover of a Striper album, right? That's, that would be one things for me. But, uh, or if you're a little younger than me, or younger than us, and you grew up playing video games, uh, you might have the idea of the guy you got to beat in the end of Guitar Hero 3, that that's the devil, and, and that's who he is. Our culture has, has Hollywoodized Satan, hasn't it? It's Hollywoodized Satan to being a fictional character who represents evil as a symbol rather than a real figure in battle for our souls. And that's a dangerous thought. It's dangerous. This morning, it's important for us to understand who he is. And the, the truth is, so many professed Christians agree with that. They don't think he's real either. Check this out this morning. This was a a, a poll done, a study done back in uh, 2009 by a man named George Barna who uh, studies culture, studies Christian culture especially. And, and he came up with this in 2009. So this, is, this is eight years ago. And so I would argue that today these numbers may be even different and, and, and worse. But, but George Barna um, had this to say. He, he, he asked uh, professing Christians, people that were not nominal, but they were professing believers, Christians, asked them to react to this statement. Statement is this, Satan is not a living being, but simply a symbol of evil. What is your response? This is what he said. What is your response to that statement? Six out of ten people who read that who said they agreed or agreed strongly with that statement. They said, that is absolutely true. Satan is not real, but he is a symbol of evil. Furthermore, 8% of people said, I don't know what I believe. So, a full 7 out of 10 Bible-believing, professing Christians said, 70% said, I either don't know what to believe, or he's not real, or he is a symbol of evil, but not an actual real, real being. 26% polled disagree with it, and 9% disagreed somewhat. My question for you today is, where do you fall on that, that spot? Because if I asked 10 Christians what they felt, we might get 10 different answers, right? See, from this study, George Barner surmised wisely, listen to what he says here. He says, Hollywood has made evil accessible and tame, making Satan and demons feel or seem less worrisome than the Bible suggests they really are. It's hard for achievement-driven, self-reliant, independent people to believe that their lives can be impacted by unseen forces, end quote. Friends, this is a problem. This is a thing that we have to address. Because, and this is a dangerous belief because we have an enemy. So today we're going to dive into this idea and you might have said, wow, what did I come to today? Hopefully you came to a place where you're going to get some biblical background and understanding on who is this devil because the Bible does talk about the devil, doesn't it? It's in there. We're going to jump into that and we're going to walk through some, some common questions and misunderstandings that deal with who our adversary is. The first question this morning 
we're going to walk through is where did Satan come from? It's a good question, isn't it? It's an important question. Where did he come from? Let's, let's read today in Ezekiel chapter 28. It's starting in verse 12. He says this, You were a seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysotile, emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, which I don't know what those are, but they sound great, uh, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold, on the day you were created, they were prepared. This passage here is a passage that refers to a created being that God made by the name of Lucifer. And this was a beautiful created being. He was an angel. And this is another area we have to deal with sometimes angels because that's another spot where we get confused on sometimes. But God made this angel beautiful. Many theologians would say he was one of the highest, if not the highest, of the angels in rank and ability and power and strength. So this, 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 this being was created at this point, but, verse 17, your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So we first see here that Satan was a created being, an angel. So the idea that Satan is just an, a, an idea or he's just a philosophy or a symbol of evil does not stand up to Scripture. If we read further here, here's some more. Isaiah chapter 14, 12 refers to this moment in Ezekiel where it says, Oh, you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. Does not sound like an ideal. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. This is Jesus talking, who, believe it or not, uh, didn't come on the scene at Christmas time. He's been around since the beginning of the world. He said these words. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So scriptures teach us right here that this is not some idea. This is a, a being created by God who because of this level of pride and arrogance, this level of, of, of misunderstanding, fell from earth, was cast out from heaven down to earth. And Revelation 12 verse 3 gives us an idea as well of what else happened with this moment. It says, an enormous red dragon, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to earth. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So what happens here is that the devil is, is working to mislead some of the angels in heaven. One third of the angels is somewhat successful, cast them down as a group to the earth with a purpose and a plan. They rolled, they believed that they were rulers and ruling above God's authority. Not a good idea, right? So they were cast down with his rebel army, with a plan. What is the plan this morning? Well, good question. Glad you asked it. Question two today is, what is Satan's goal? Does he just walk around? Is he just kind of here? He's this bad guy that's got little horns and throws things at you if you say whatever. No, he's got a clear-cut goal, and this is it. To deceive and destroy what God made and loves, especially God's most prized creation, which is you 
and me. Satan has a plan for your life. He just, he does. God has a plan for your life. God's plan for your life is different than Satan's. Satan's plan is clear cut. It's found in John chapter 10, 10. The thief comes to simply steal, kill, and destroy. What's he do? What's his plan? What's his purpose? His purpose is to undermine the very being, the God that is in control, is powerful and mighty, to undermine him, and to do that means he goes after his most prized possessions. If, I will tell you today, I'll give you a little secret. If you want to really get to me, okay, if you're like, man, Steve, I can't stand you. You are an absolute terrible person. I want to get to you. This is how you do it. You come after my family, Right? After my family, all bets are off. Because I love them. I love my wife and my kids incredibly. So guess what? The enemy also knows this. So guess who he comes after? Those whom God has created and made in his image, who are his prized possessions. That would be us. And the Satan's plan is to, dis, to, to destroy and to take away from what God's plan is. He's he, he, he works in this way. And it's interesting. We see this first happen in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, in the Garden of Eden, we find in that, that position where Satan appears as a serpent to Adam and Eve to tempt them. And notice what he does in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says these words. He says, did God really say that? The enemy starts off by subverting God's spoken word and promise. He subverts it. He, he says, did God really do that? God didn't really say that. God didn't really mean what he said he meant. Oh, he meant this or he meant that. He comes and he twists, he steals, he kills, and he destroys. And it didn't start here just in the last few hundred thousand years. It has been that way since the beginning of time. Since that's happened, he's continued that. All along, his desire has been to lie, cheat, steal, whatever it might be, to take people away from believing the fact that they need God. They're taking us to a place where you say, we don't need him anymore. 1 Peter 5 says this, Be alert and of sober minds. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing a kind of sufferings. He has a level of power. That's question three. Does Satan have power? And the answer is yes. Satan has a degree or a measure of power. That's important for us to understand. He's got a degree or measure of power. We know this because of his encounter with Jesus in Luke 4. Luke 4, the devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now that passage there is big and thick and we can spend a lot of time on that. I promise we won't this morning. But what that does reveal to us is that the enemy has a measure of power. By virtue of his creation, he has a measure of power. And with that, he does what his goal has been to steal, kill, and destroy. To subvert God's word. To subvert God's presence. To tempt mankind as 1 John 2.16 says with the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. He works to do this. And here's the deal, though, is that's exactly what got him in trouble in the first place. 
The enemy is not very creative, okay? He has some, uh, he has some, some, some things that he does some plays that he plays, we can study and know how he does what he does. Next question comes is, since he has power, is Satan responsible for what goes wrong on the earth? It's a big question. A lot of people assume that if there's earthquakes, it's Satan's fault. Just like if they assume that if there's good things, it's always God. And there's this big thing that's always this is that. Or if I don't get a raise at work, man, it's Satan's fault. You know, if I lose my keys, then the devil is after me and i got to resist him, you know? You laugh at that, but it happens, doesn't it, sometimes? There are people who believe that Satan is behind every rock, don't they? When I was on my internship in, in, in Michigan, um, I remember a time when I was in, getting in a van with uh, a pastor on staff and one of our custodial members. And we got in this van, we're going someplace, and because I was the intern, I was the lowly person, I was in the back, and uh, the pastor was in the, driver's, the passenger seat, and the, uh, the, the custodian was in the, the driver's seat, and we got in this van, and he turned the key, and the van just, you know, and it stopped, it wouldn't, wouldn't run. And so this custodian stops and starts cast the demon out of this van. Oh, and Jesus, you know, I mean, going on and on about how the devil has got this van and goes on and on about this. And the pastor turns to me, gives me a little knowing smile and says, I think I know what the problem is. And so he gets up out of the van, goes into the church's uh, garage, pulls out. We had this, this, this charging uh, station, uh, plugs it up to the van and uh, the, the battery and says, start it up. And sure enough, the van starts right up. Because the van didn't have a demon problem, it had a, it was an old Dodge van with about 180,000 miles on it problem that had a dead battery. But sometimes we think that's how it works with the enemy, doesn't it? That he is in every big thing, every bad thing, that is simply not always the case. I wonder if we give the enemy more credit than he deserves. I wonder if we ascribe things to him that are more than he deserves. You see, he's not behind every moment that doesn't go our way. We'll get to that in a moment this morning. His power is limited. He has a, he's a measure, but it's, but it's limited. So what is the extent of his, his power uh, this morning? It's, it's limited. Uh, I want to study some film this morning here for you because one of the jobs of a football coach is to study film, isn't it? Any good coach will tell you that that's part of their job. They have to know their opponents, to know their adversary. I love football movies. At our house, we have, uh, we have some DVDs. On one side of our, of our entertainment center is my wife's movies, which are all Christmas movies and musicals. I don't go in there very much, I'll be honest with you. It's kind of that her little world. On my side, it's war movies and sports movies, and that's it. Okay, and that's all there is. And so I love a good sports movie. I just, I do. And even though they're always the same story and the same thing happens every time, I don't care because they're good. And if you watch a football movie, you're always going to have a montage in there of the main character, the main coach character who is studying film to understand their opponents. And remember the Titans. That was a big moment when they were not able to study film. If you look at another great movie called We Are Marshall, it's a great movie. Not many people have heard of it. I love that movie. And in that movie, same thing. They are allowed to study film of their opponents, 
which is what brings them back to the place of, of victory. We have to know our opponents. What does he do? What are his tendencies? He's crafty, but he's not that creative. So to understand this today, let's, let's look at what he is not. There are some things that he is not. Number one, he is not omnipresent. The enemy is not every place at all times. He is a created being. He is, it's clear in scripture, he's not God, he's not a God. He can't be everywhere. Can't be. This is why he employs his fallen angels as his henchmen, as his army to do his bidding. And it works like this. Our country's main general can't be every place around the world, can he? So we as a country send armies, we send legions, we send helpers, we send groups around the world, and in unison, they work together for the cause of the United States of America. See, so what happens in the Middle East, what happens in Southeast Asia, what happens wherever it might happen, is one big unit, but the, each person is not all places at all times. Sometimes I think we think the enemy is all places at all times. Satan is not. Now his demons are, his demons can be all places, or can be places not because they're omnipresent, because there's a bunch of them. And so, so they work in unison together. Now, we have to bring a balance point here because Scripture does at times interchange the name Satan to speak for an evil in general. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us to resist the devil and he will flee. James is not saying that because the devil is always right here by you, that when I walk this way, there's a devil. When I walk this way, there's literally the devil. He says, resist the devil, he'll flee. He is speaking to the idea of evil and saying, this is how it works. Resist him. Get out of here. Walk away. He is obviously not me. The devil is right next to you. Uh, he is talking about that, that, the idea that, 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 that Satan can, can represent evil in general. Number two, he's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He does not know everything. Now, by nature of his created being, he has, he has, pretty, he has, he has a, a heightened ability to know things, but he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know like God knows. We have no fear. We do not have to fear because we know the one who is omniscient, don't we? And it is not Satan. Number three, he's not omnipotent. He's not possessed ultimate and unlimited power. In fact, he's limited and restrained by God's sovereign power and authority. The book of Job is a great tool and testament to this. Again, Job is a thick, big, massive book. I cannot get into the details of Job and, it's, and where, where it is, but Job so greatly illustrates the power God has over the enemy because the enemy has to ask God for permission to sift Job, doesn't he? Without God's permission, he does not have that. Now you might say, well, why would God do that? Again, thick book, not a discussion for today, but the reality is, is that God's power is ultimate. The enemy is not omnipotent. And I think sometimes believers fail to remember these three things, right? When we, when we engage the enemy or when we think about evil or what he's doing, we, we forget that he is not these things. God is, he's not. Think of this. If he was omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent, he would not have allowed Jesus to be crucified. 
Because if he knew all, if he had all power and all authority, there is no way he would have allowed Jesus to fulfill God's plan of salvation. The reality is is that Satan didn't know what was going to happen. He had no concept. He had no clue. He had no idea that he was unknowingly fulfilling God's plan for salvation. He thought he was defeating it. But he fulfilled it because this is what's cool about God. Is that God can take something that was meant for evil, God can take something that was terrible, and God can flip it on its backside and use it for good. No other place is that more evidence than in the story of, of salvation. He is not able to do those things. So, verse, the next question, what are the weapons that he uses? Number one, lies and deception. This is important today. The word, John chapter 8, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Okay, there's something there that's pretty obvious. I don't know if you caught it this morning, but it's pretty clear. Jesus was giving us his playbook. Satan lies. He is deceptive. He creates false religions, false doctrines in order to confuse and to bring confusion in our hearts and our minds. Man, this is a big deal in our culture today, isn't it? There's a lot of places where the enemy has taken truth and just turned it just a little bit to bring confusion or to bring false ideals or false doctrines into our hearts, right? We have to know the truth. We have to know what we believe and why we believe it. We have to understand that the enemy works in lies and deception. And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, this is deception. This isn't right now. It's not the point of my message. We have to be, as believers, we have to have our wits about us, the spirit in our hearts, the word. We have to have it by our sides to understand when deception comes. Because I'll tell you, there are little moments and things of deception all over the place, and that includes in the church. There are points and spots of deception. It is important for us to understand that. The enemy wants you to believe that God's plan is too restrictive. That there's, there's many ways to God. There's many ways to salvation. How could a loving God do that? That's what the enemy wants you to think and believe. He, he works in deception. Number two, he works in temptation. Adam and Eve, he tempted them to walk away. He tempted them by the word. Did God really say that? He tempted them by, by bringing subversion to God's word. That's temptation. Now, here's the deal. Adam and Eve did not have to do that, right? Nor do we. The idea in today's message title is the devil made me do it. That is a big, fat lie. He cannot make you do anything. He cannot make you do those things. He cannot force those things into you. Temptation is exactly what it says. It's tempting. He makes sin, he makes, he makes disbelieving God look more attractive than believing God. God, again, he cannot force you to sin. His last one, sickness. Sickness and disease is a part of the natural, sinful, fallen world. 
There's evidence in Scripture that the enemy can use sickness and physical harm to, as a weapon against God's people. No place better than Job chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Satan went out and afflicted Job. God didn't do it. Satan afflicted him. Very important dis- distinction this morning. He is, he, is, he is able to do this in our lives at times. Now, I'm not saying that that's always how it works. Because if you say that, that's foolishness. Because sin, is, as a result of our fallen world, there is sin, there are problems, there are sicknesses. And it's not always the devil that causes it to happen. It just isn't. But sometimes in Scripture, it shows us that, that it is. And you might say, well, how do we know which one it is? And the truth is, we don't always know which one it is. But we respond to both in the same way, don't we? God is the God of healing. God's a God of power. He's called us to come to him with our needs and bring those things to him and say, this is how it gives God. Bring healing, bring deliverance, and give us understanding into what's happening in this world. Church, again, if the enemy is real, and I use that if word by, with a big quote because he is, God is far bigger and stronger and greater. Amen? You see, you deal with these both in the same way. You pray, you take authority for healing. No matter what the origin is, we pray for discernment to understand. God has the power to heal, and God's power trumps Satan's every single time. Bam! Without question, his power trumps Satan's power. Which brings us to the next question, number seven. Should I be afraid of Satan? A lot of people get worked up about Satan, scared and worried and such, and troubled and say, oh, no, I, I, what's happening here? Is fear of Satan, even a little bit, is it healthy? And the answer to that is, if you are a follower of Christ, and that's a big, humongous predecessor, if you're a follower of Christ, if you are under his care, under his authority, if you're walking with him, if you have given your heart to him, now, does not mean perfect, because if it does, we're in trouble, does not mean that you've done everything perfectly and right. It means that you are under Jesus' care. If that's the case, it's a big, fat no. We are not to fear anything, and that includes the enemy, right? With Christ on our side, we have nothing to fear by Satan's limited power. I'd add this, that any power he has in our lives is only there because we allow him to have that power, right? Right? Because we have usurped that power and given it up because, oftentimes, because of fear, right? Have you been in a place before where you walk into a place where the, the, the hairs stare at the back of your head, right? You know what I'm talking about. When I was in high school one time, when I was not serving Jesus at one point in my life, um, I was at a, a, a house. It was just north of Big Lake, and it was abandoned. It was an old farmhouse, and a bunch of my friends thought it would be fun to go into this house. I will never forget it. Uh, it was, I, they said, we got, there's this haunted house. I'm like, sweet, let's go. So we went to this place and, and walked in, and it was obvious in a moment, even though I wasn't serving God at this point, it was obvious to me that something was wrong. I walked in that door of that place. There was paraphernalia of Satan worship, and I'm not going to give the enemy uh, glory this morning of what happened, but it was so obvious in that moment, and the hairs back in my head stood up, and I was like, whoa. 
I remember walking out of that place and standing by my car and saying, I am not afraid, but I'm not going in there. And that was part of what God began to do in my life and to change me because I will say this. If we're not a follower of God, if, we're not, if our hearts and our lives are not under his authority, do we need to be afraid of him? And the answer, of course, is yes, a little bit. Because his desire, his heart, is to steal, kill, and destroy. His heart's desire is to take us outside of God's will and God's purpose and God's plan. That's pretty scary, right? But we don't have to be afraid of him. And I've sat counsel people before who walked through this. And they say, well, I, I, there's a demon in my house, or there's this, or there's that. And they get afraid and fearful of the enemy. And the truth is, you don't have to if you're under his authority. You don't have to take that. And if, he, if you have that in your life, I would argue that it's because we've given him that power. As a child of the king, you have no reason to fear Satan in any situation. But you need to know his plan and his purposes. Like in Corinthians chapter 10, we've, we, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that we have, we have understanding, we have authority, we have, we have weapons to fight the enemy's tactics and purposes, and we do not do this alone and powerless. Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, from the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, question eight, is there a plan of exorcism given in Scripture? This was a, a big question I had received quite a bit of. And this is, I, I hate to use the word exorcism because it's such a, a, a misunderstand idea. You've seen the movies, right, where the dude's got his head spinning around and all that kind of stuff. I actually haven't, but I've heard about those things. And this is a, a, a misunderstood practice. This is a thing that, again, has been Hollywoodized and it seems to be bigger than life and larger than life and just a thing to scare us with. Does this, is this real? And the truth is, is it yes. Scripture has moments of this happening in it. Matthew 10 and Mark 9, Jesus gives instruction on this. Paul, in Acts 16, casts out demons from a slave girl, explains how it's done. People will ask sometimes, is there, is there a, a formula? Is there a thing that you do and say that causes this to happen? And the answer to that is, is no. Acts chapter 19, some people thought they had that formula, the seven sons of Sceva. They were the sons of a Jewish priest who said, all we have to do is say this. Verse 13, in Acts 19, in the name of Jesus, the one who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. You know the passage, the story. Uh, one day they did this, an evil spirit answered them. And he said, Jesus, I know, I know Paul, but who are you? Now, that would be a little scary, right, if I had that, because they're doing this outside of God's will and God's purpose. And it continues there. The evil spirit took them on, beat them up, and sent them away naked and beaten. Casting out demons is not a formula that you can spew out. Before you decide to take on a demon, make sure you're in the right place with the right motives. If you're trying to look like a hot-shot Christian to your friends and your colleagues, you might end up the same way as the seven scuns of Sceva did. So I would tell you today that this is not a reason to be scary, but you have to understand and engage the enemy in a responsible way. Now, there's no magic phrase. 
But there's one thing clear in the Bible, and this is important. A God-empowered individual commands the demon to be gone, and it happened, period. All this garbage about having to put, you know, clovers, or not clovers, but put garlics on things, and you gotta do this and do that and do this. It's hogwash. The Bible speaks when this happens. The child of God speaks the word, and the demon has to flee because of the name of Christ. Now, again, you can do this outside of God's will and purpose. You can the heart that is, that, is, that is full of pride and arrogance, and you might find yourself in trouble, but under Christ, in him, a Christ-empowered individual commands a demon gone, and it happens. Last question today as the band comes forward. How long will Satan be permitted to terrorize the earth? Question nine. Revelation 12, 12 gives us understanding to this. It says, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, but he knows his time is short. Now, I can assume that the devil can read, okay? He, he, know, he, he can read. He knows what's happening. Um, he doesn't, there's no timetable. There's, there's no, we don't know the exact moment. If Jesus didn't know, then he didn't. Uh, and so, but he is working as feverishly as possible to convince as many people as possible that he is not real, and that you can just say, did God really say that? Did God really do this and subvert and bring doubt and, and confusion and disillusionment and such to our lives as believers? His time is short. His time is, 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 is limited. Does he have power? Yes. Does he have authority? To a, to a degree. But his reign of terror is coming to an end and will be punished. Here's a crazy thought I had. The devil is, is real, but he was not created to be like this, right? God made the devil. God, gave, God created this. It certainly is, is the case. Wasn't created to be like that. What, what caused this to take place? What caused this to happen? Well, it was the same thing that happens nowadays, right? Pride and arrogance. Believing that he knew more than God, that he had more ability and more promise and more purpose than God, and that, man, I should be lifted up. I should be better. I should have this. It all comes back to one thing. It all comes back to this ideal. That you And you and I have a choice as well. We can follow and honor God, or we can take the bait and follow and honor anything other than him, which usually comes back to our God of choice, and that is numero uno, me. Right? All this comes back and boils back down to that self. Selfishness. And through Minnesota, we can say self-ishness. I don't think it's the enemy's plan for us to join a satanic church and worship him. Not the enemy's plan for us to, you know, go out and buy a bunch of satanic weird things and all that. It's not his plan. He knows better than that, Right? He is crafty. He is the father of lies. He works in submission and subversion. His plan is simple. It's found throughout Scripture. It's always the same. He has a play, and he tries it to do it. If we know his play, we can understand his works, and we can defeat him, as the word says. Right? We can choose to believe a lie. We can choose to not. We can choose to believe that temptation is not a big deal or that sin is not that big of a deal or that 
We can live to ourselves, and it's all about me and my, as long as I'm happy, then that's the ultimate good. If we believe that, then Satan has, has done that. And I'm not just today accusing anyone of being a follower of Satan. That's not what I'm talking about today. But the chances are good that there are some who believed his lies because he's good at it, right? But we have a more powerful king. We have a powerful king. We just stand across this room this morning. His deception is subtle. We don't always realize when we're embracing it. We have an advocate. We have a source. We have a friend. We have a savior. We have the spirit who comes. And the word says if we ask him to come and ask him to speak to us, he reveals deep things to us this morning. Because a person who is submitted to Jesus and submitted to his will and submitted to the cross and submitted to him, a person like that, a person who's being spirit-led, who's being word-driven, that kind of a person will be, will be in a place where God will lead and speak and work and minister. Our point, our purpose today is not to give the enemy grace or not to give the enemy a, a bunch of lift, lifting him up and, 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 and saying, oh, he's big and powerful and mighty and we got to be afraid of him. No. Our point today is saying that he is nothing compared to our God. And when we are found in him, we are doing as Pat said, as we are allowing his spirit to speak and we say yes, he begins to change and turn us around, heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Steve, I, I don't know Jesus. I've never given my life to him before, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused, or I'm in a tough place. I've never heard this before. But you know that God's speaking in your heart this morning. If that's you, I would ask, as the heads bowed, eyes closed, just put your head up and look me in the eye this morning. You say, that's me, Pastor. I don't know Jesus, but I want to today. I don't want to live like the enemy has called and worked. I recognize that he has lied. I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. If that's you today, I want you to look me in the eye. That's, that's me. Take a moment, and I'm going to look today. If that's you, if I miss you, then put your hand in the air or something if I missed you this morning. But that's you. Say, man, ah, that's me, Pastor. The good news is you don't have to live like this anymore. The good news is you can come under the authority of Christ in your life and things change. The good news is you come under the authority of Christ and he brings you freedom from these things. A few more moments, we're going to close this portion today. You say, that's me, Pastor. Anybody else? Praise Jesus. I'm going to pray. If you, if you looked at me today, and several did, several said, that's me, I need Jesus in my life. This is what I'm going to do, is I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not magical. It's not the only way to pray. What this is this morning is this is an example for you to pray. I want you today to pray with me, and we're going to all pray together today. This is what we're going to do. We're going to ask Jesus to come into our life. If you mean business with him, it means that he's challenging you, so ask him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, to clean you up. And I would encourage you that we're going to pray that you're going to, from this point forward, commit to live your life for him. If that's what you want to do, 
pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I love you. I don't know you yet, but I'm about to. I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for doing things foolishly. But from this point forward, I give you my life. Come in and clean me. Come in and change me. I'm yours. From this point forward, in Jesus' name, you pray that prayer this morning. The word says that you have given your heart to him, that you are saved. Church, let's give, that, let's give God some glory this morning. Come on now. If, if I could have our prayer team come forward up here today. If you prayed that prayer or this morning, if you need prayer in your life, these are men and women who would love to pray with you. They're not weird. They're not going to be crazy. Well, maybe my mom. No, I'm just kidding. No, they're, they're wonderful people this morning. And, and uh, <laughs> you, you laugh because you know the truth, don't you? Because my mom is not that way at all. If God is speaking in your life this morning, if you need help, if you are feeling a sense of the enemy in your life that is ruining, destroying, that is doing things in your life, and you need prayer today, I want to ask you to come forward and pray this morning. Maybe that's you today. You're just saying, God, I just want to spend some time in your presence. This, this altar is, is, is an open place this morning. But I want you this morning, if you're the rest of us today, and we're going to close in a moment, but... What I want to do today for the rest of us is I want us just to stop and I want us to pray for a few moments this morning. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we recognize the enemy's tactics. He's not that smart. He's not that cunning. But he has a plan. We're not taking it. Lord, lead us. Guide us. Help us to understand your plan, Jesus. We come under your authority. Lord, I pray for you to speak into lives this morning. If there are those here today that God has sensed that there's, some, that there's things that they're doing that, Lord, are bringing them to bondage, I pray that they would lead those to you. And, Lord, give those things to you, Lord Jesus. If you're here today and there's something in your life and no one knows but you, and it is dark, and it is frustrating, and it is difficult, it might be an addiction. It might be, it, it, this morning, it might be a, an area where you are unforgiving or you have been hurt or you have been offended or you are sick or you have been lied to or you have been this or that. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to give that to Jesus this morning. Lord, we give these to you today. If there are those here today that God need to, Lord, place those at your feet and Lord, cause them to. And Lord, let us walk this week in victory, not because we're that great, but because you are that great. Amen? We pray this in your strong and holy name, Jesus. And everyone says, what? Amen.